Okay, so the third question is from Rajhari Das. And he sent it to me through email, so I'm going to just read it here. It says, Shiva uh, Bhakti Vedanta Prabhupada in his commentary to Bhagavad Gita. I think you want to read it slow enough that Sham Sundar can translate it at the same time since you won't have it to read from. Okay, good idea. Yeah, let's start slower. So, Shiva Bhakti Vedanta Prabhupada in his commentary to Bhagavad Gita 7.8 says, one who knows God knows that the impersonal conception and personal conception are, are simultaneously present in everything and that there is no contradiction. Therefore, Lord Chaitanya established his sublime doctrine, Achinta Beta Beta Tattva, simultaneous oneness and difference. If I understand correctly, so now Brajhari uh, is saying, if I understand correctly, differentiation could be connected with personalism and oneness with impersonalism. My question is, how are we to understand in Gaudiya Vaishnavism the statements that speak of the jivas as being one with Brahman? How are we to understand the statements in the scripture that speak about the jiva being one with Brahman? Mm-hmm. That's the question. And in that, um, in the context of the report there of Srila Prabhupada, right? Yes. Right. Um, hold on one second. Can you say something? Hello, hello. Haribo. Can you hear me? Again? Hello? Yeah, 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 I can. Right. So, uh, yes, um, I think what Prabhupada is, is, is saying there, basically, of course, is that, uh, the Gaudiya Vaishnava, um, metaphysic is, uh, a Chinja Beta Beta. Um, and, one of the reasons um, for that is the fact that there are statements in the scripture that speak about oneness of the jiva with Brahman, which is what the question is about. But there are also many statements in the scripture as to the difference between the jiva and the Godhead. So, given the fact that, for example, in the Upanishads, which the Vedanta Sutra is, 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 um, seeks, I should say, the Vedanta Sutra to, um, explain the diverse statements of the scripture of the Upanishads primarily, and also, um, with reference to some other texts, but primarily to the Upanishads. Um, uh, uh, the, the sutras seek to harmonize the various statements, some of which seem to be in, in opposition to, 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 to others. So it's a kind of a, I look at it as the first attempt in human society at theology, reasoning about the implications of the uh, revelation. 
and um, and then of course there are commentaries on the Vedanta Sutra, which is in itself kind of a shorthand uh, version, almost like uh, Vyas took notes, and they're very cryptic. So you have then different sampradayas who look at the cryptic statements um, in the Vedanta Sutra, which are again largely with in reference to the to the um, various statements of the Upanishads in an effort to make the, have them all make sense and uh, appear to be uh, giving a concerted message. And so um, there are different ideas then amongst the different schools of Vedanta of what that concerted message is. However, that said, most of them all are in agreement on basic um, points, um, such as the oneness or difference between the jivas and 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 the godhead. Uh, four of them, or let's say the the, the four Vaishnava sampradayas, one of which we are our Gaudiya sampradaya is thought to be connected with the Brahma. Uh, Sampradaya, four of them out of five, the fifth being Shankar, um, all have basically the same uh, conclusion that in some sense there's a oneness with Bhagavan, but there's a difference and there's an emphasis on the difference, of course, for the sake of uh, devotion and um, and making for a doctrine, if you will, of, of love, which requires an interaction. Between the object of love and uh, and the love itself, um, so I'm just saying, just despite the fact that there are different perspectives on the sutras, there's a lot of um, agreement. Even 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 with Shankar, in many respects, we we agree, but we diverge from him. All the Vaishnav sampradayas considerably because. He takes the statements of the scripture that speak about oneness between Jiva and Brahman is absolute and final and relativizes, if you will, uh, all the statements to the contrary. Um, so um, our perspective then um, on the oneness with the Jiva and Brahman is, of course, uh, uh the idea that um, if we're going to school someone about um, a subject that they have no access to other than through ourselves, then uh, how we're going to tell them about that, well, we, we may have to go in stages. So let's use the example of the cave. Two people living in a cave, they've never seen the sun. They live inside the cave. They, they, they don't, they don't, there's no opening to the cave, let us say. So one of them happens to get out somehow. Now you can imagine the experience of you, you live your whole life in a cave and you come out and you see the sun. I mean, you see vegetation, you see water, you, you see clouds, you see rain, food of all varieties. I mean, what the sun does compared to what's done in its absence is 
is un, unimaginable. I mean, it's, it's inconceivable. Hmm? And so to go out from the cave into the sunlight and experience all that's out there and then to come back in and tell your, your friend that I've seen a world beyond the cave. And he says, well, you know, what's it like? Where do you begin? What are you going to tell him? He has no experience of any of the things that you've experienced. Hmm? So you make a little hole, a little crack in the cave, and a ray of the sunlight comes through. Hmm? And you say, this is the sun, which is pretty fascinating in, in the dark cave itself. It's light right? inside the dark cave. Wow, it's almost blinding because you've never uh, seen the light. Hmm? So it's that it's that in itself is just overwhelming. But you say to your friend, "This is the sun. I saw the sun. This this is it. This ray." So that's not untrue. That that the ray is the sun, but it's only a very rudimentary explanation of what the sun is. A kind of a beginning explanation. So the Upanishads speak in a in a basic way about the oneness between the jiva and Brahman, which is sometimes compared to the ray of the sun and the sun. The rays of the sun, of course, are one with the sun. They're, they're fully dependent upon the sun. They don't have any separate existence from the sun. But by the sun's arrangement, through evaporation of water that produces clouds, the sun could be clouded, the rays, excuse me, could be clouded from the sun itself and think, but there is no sun. Um, so such is our condition. And the very fact that um, although there, there are statements as to our oneness with Brahman in quality, um, in the words, we're consciousness, not matter. We're not inert, insentient. Uh, we're not temporary. Um, we have all these, we're enduring, we're sought. We're not um, uh, um, um, inert, unconscious. We're conscious. Chit, a material nature by example, by consciousness, asat and achit, hmm? and nirananda, and we are satchit ananda, anu. Hmm? Swami describes the the, 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 the jiva is constituted of chidananda mika. Chit Ananda Atmika. Atmika means to be constituted of chit knowledge and and bliss. And of course, we exist. So, so um, in that way, we're like Brahman. But obviously, uh, the the Vaishnavas would say we're, we're also different in that the sun, using my previous example, can never be covered by the clouds that it produces. Here the clouds are compared to Maya. Hmm? It can never be it can never be covered by the clouds. But the rays beneath the clouds could be covered from the sun, although they're never separate from the sun. They may think of themselves as such. And so here we are, you know, we're one with Brahman, but what kind of Brahman are we? We couldn't be the full sense of Brahman because we are deluded by the influence of the cloud of, of, of Maya. Hmm? So Immediately, the Vaishnavas react 
to the statements that we're one with the qualifying statements as to the fact that we're, we're also we're also different. Hmm? Now, the oneness and difference in Gaudiya Vaishnavism is interpenetrating. So, so our difference from Bhagavan and our oneness are uh, interpenetrate um, with one another. Um, we let, let me give you an example of you know, you know we we as jivas have the inherent qualities of being doers, agents of action, qualitative experiencers, and um, and uh, and knowers. But in material life, um, when the, when the material world is manifest, there are two features of the Godhead that are really operative. That the nimitta and upadan, or the instrumental and the ingredient causes of the world. So God is the instrumental cause. So with his icha, his will, his kriya, his action, his gyan, his knowledge, um, he makes the world manifest, right? And then the, there's the ingredients of the world itself, the modes of nature, the pradana, which he which he activates by 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 the, the example is given of passing a glance on on the pradhan and setting it in, into motion and the, the glance is impregnating the womb of material nature with the jivas so the world is the jivas and and the jiva shakti and the maya shakti now krishna or the mahavishnu his expansion made that possible by his will by his knowledge, by his actions. And these are all functions of the Sarup Shakti. Hmm? However, he's also non-different from Maya Shakti, hmm? which is, has two features, this energetic feature and a substance feature, like the, the stuff itself and, 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 and the energy. But the energy, if you will, of the Maya Shakti is, is also comes from Bhagwan. Hmm? So there's a Kriya Shakti, Gyan Shakti, Icha Shakti. Icha means will. So to, 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 to know, to will, to act. Gyan, uh, Icha, uh, Kriya. Hmm? So this, a shadow, if you will, or an abbas of his actual powers that are instrumental in bringing about the world are, um, 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 Reposed in the ingredients of the war of the Maya Shakti at the same time. And it's these ingredients that become the upadi or the designation of the body mind uh, complex that we're identified with. So, so the way in which we are a doer and a knower and a feeler, a doer of actions that are pious or impious, an experiencer of Happies and sads, goods and bads, a knower in a material sense. Hmm? This is all um, possible for those qualities of being knowers, doers, willers, whatever, uh, by this uh, Shakti of Bhagavan that's reposed in material nature hmm? in the in the in, in the in the uh, ingredient uh, aspect. Of material nature. So material nature has a, 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 a Kriya Shakti 
teacher Shakti, but it's actually from Bhagwan. And so this is not, these Shaktis are not part of the Jiva's constitution. These Shaktis are part of a shadow of Bhagwan's own internal Shakti, by which he is the instrumental cause of the world. And they show up as part of the, within the ingredient contents of the material world and form the, the body-mind complex, for example. So the jiva as a doer in material life is doing things, as the Gita says, that are actually being done by material nature. It's a doer in that it, that it's, it's part of the, 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 the function of, of Bhagawan to, as the ingredient cause. He puts the jivas in there and they're conscious. So they, they, they set the world in, in motion. But the way in which they function is dependent upon the Maya Shakti and these shadow shaktis, if you will, of the Sarup Shakti that are part of the ingredients of material nature. So the point I'm making here is that, you know, that as far as how our, what is our oneness with Bhagawan, for us to act, even in the material world, we're dependent upon Bhagawan shaktis. Now, these are shadows of his shaktis that he reposes in material nature that are, that, that are part of the body-mind complex. But in one sense, Bhagawan's doing it, right? Hmm? <laughs> uh, so he's behind everything is the idea. Um, and so we, what we're doing in a, in, in, a, in a kind of a secondary sense, he's actually doing we're not independent. We're dependent upon him in every respect. Now, if the, if, 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 if we are graced with bhakti through good so- association, then of course the Maya Shakti's influence will be removed and that internal Shakti of Bhagavan, by which the whole of the spiritual world is going on. Everything that's going on there by his, by his spiritual Kriya Shakti, Icha Shakti, Let's take it's each shock, his desire. So Bhagwan has unlimited uh, uh, desires. He's the supreme enjoyer. So through the liberated jiva, who's now a doer under the uh, by the by the through the vehicle of the the internal shakti of Bhagwan, that internal shakti of Bhagwan is not an upadi a designation, an external thing. It's part of the constitution of the jiva hmm? that's now becomes manifest because the maya shakti is removed through the influence of bhakti. So it's not like the jiva has his own shakti and he's moving around in the spiritual world. No. Uh, just like he's moving around the material world by a shadow of the of Bhagwan's and a boss of Bhagwan's internal shakti. In a spiritual world, he's moving around doing things, desiring his desires are Bhagwan's desires. Bhagwan desires. And so there's so his own form is expressed as many forms hmm, that are the swaroops or the spiritual bodies of his devotees who only desire to please him. And so he is experiencing his different desires through the agency of his devotees, uh, whose bodies are expansion of his own self. And so, 
So there's a, you look at it from the oneness point of view. I'm just kind of emphasizing that this one from a material point of view. We can also see how we're one, as I'm explaining, and in a spiritual sense, even within um, the um, spiritual world, not Brahman. That's only a basic sense in which we're one with Bhagwan. But in a more, even in terms of our difference from Bhagwan, we're also one at the same time. As much as we're different from him, at the same time, we're that much one with him. So again, as we function in the spiritual world, there are unlimited um, jivas there with their spiritual bodies. And they're, 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 they're doers, they're desirers, they're experiencers, and so forth. And all of that requires Shakti for that to happen, to do something requires Shakti. So the Shakti that, that, that is, that, that, that there is, is not a shadow of the Krishna Sarup Shakti, but his actual Sarup Shakti. So if the, if the Jeeva is a doer, in a full sense of the term, and require Shakti to do it, then that Shakti is the, is, is the Shrup Shakti. So in that sense, we could say the Shrup Shakti is inherent, um, in the Jiva, if it's inherently a doer, a knower, an experiencer. But anyway, um, again, the point of, with regard to oneness and difference, even when we say the Jiva is different from Bhagwan, and we emphasize this for Bhakti and so forth, he is at the same time, the Jiva is at the same time, she is as much one, hmm? because he or she, the jiva, it, we are uh, just expansions of Bhagwan through which he's experiencing different desires. That's if we look at it from the, from the Abed, non-different perspective. He has many desires. One coward boy, like I like to say, likes bananas. One likes mangoes. You know, one gopi likes blue. One likes red. Krishna likes all of these things and he's experiencing it through the different, through the, through the different, different devotees. And it's unlimitedly nuanced and uh, it's an eternity that's dynamic at the same time. It's always expressing itself in newer and newer ways within eternity. Um, so even our difference from Bhagawan, as much as we are different, we're at the same time at one. This is not even speaking about the limited rudimentary sense in which we're one with Brahman. Hmm? In that Brahman is Satchirananda, we're Satchirananda Anu. Um, um, I mean, that, 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 there's so much more to be said as I'm um, explaining. So um, anyway, these are some thoughts on the Gaudiya perspective as to how we are one and uh different from Bhagavan. You take I, I mentioned other Vaishnav Sampradayas. You can look at the Ramanuja Sampradaya, which Jiva Goswami draws upon to speak about the nature of the Jiva. They have a term, we say a chintya beta beta, right? They say uh Vishishta Dweta, qualified non-dualism. Shankar's being by comparison unqualified non-dualism. So the qualified non-dualism is is based on the concept of where we say achintya, inconceivable, interpenetrating, oneness and difference. Uh, Ramana just says inseparable, inseparability. I forget the, uh, the Sanskrit term for it, but like the blue lotus, 
So the lotus is there and the blue is there. The blue is the quality of the lotus. You can't separate the two, but there's blue and there's lotus. Um, so he speaks about it in that way. We just think that our achintya, beta, beta, more completely um, speaks to the nature of reality in a more more comprehensive sense and you know we, that's our, our our metaphysic our 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 vedanta our um argument at will it's not a it's not a disagreement with ramanujan just a different way of talking about it all of which the vaishnav sampradaya it's again to come back to my beginning differ from shankar who sees no room for any difference you know whatsoever it's all just one there is no jiva ultimately uh that's an illusion what to speak of the body mind complex the self as an individual is is an illusion in his perspective there's only brahman it's a it's a very uh, it's a popular idea but it's a very uh if you if you are have the opportunity to contrast it with any of the uh, rich vaishnava perspectives the richest of which i would say is the, is the, is, the, is the chaitanya vaishnava perspective then it pales in comparison as an explanation of, as a harmonizing of the scriptural statements, one and difference, which seem to be in contradiction with one another. And um, in terms of our experience uh, of the world, um, in, in terms of our conditioning, if the jiva is entirely one radically in an absolute sense, well, how does God get into illusion? I mean, you got to do a fantasy dance to talk about that. Um our simple explanation is, well, we're one of the Shaktis of Bhagavan. We're, we're, we're also non-dualists. Advaigyan Tattva is how the Bhagavatam describes itself. This is a book about Advaigyan Tattva. Advaigyan means non-dual reality. Hmm? Um, there's a famous statement of Shankar. Sarva midam kalo brahma. Everything is Brahman. Pujapad Sridhar described it. Everything is Brahman. We don't do away with everything. <laughs> everything is everything is also there, but they're all Brahman. So Shankar, there is no other thing. So he needs to reword his his, his aphorism. So those are some thoughts on 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 that. It's a big topic, but um, complex but interesting. So I I don't know if Prajapati um, is on the line to. Uh, reply or he's actually not on he has to wait for the spanish subtitle so he watches it on youtube okay well next week if there's any further questions that come from that from my answer feel free to bring them up yeah that was very interesting thank you very much so next one is from sajan Prabhu. okay um so just a little bit of a um about what you just shared so remarkable everything was so wonderful what you just shared um that sarvam kalvidam brahma is not an original statement by adi shankar that's actually from the upanishads itself I'm not sure you're sure i'm not sure you're right about that um i would like to see the the reference I, I can get that, that immediately if you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, please do, because I've heard otherwise, and I, I don't remember seeing it in the Upanishads, and I've heard that it's generally taken to be something from the Upanishads, but it's actually 
um, Shankar's statement, but I, I'd like to see the reference. But either way, um, we have an evaluation of explanation of it. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Um, <clears throat> something that just uh, kind of came up for oh, me. Oh, you know what it is? I made a mistake. You may be right. I think it's the statement. Brahma Satyam Jagan Nitya. Oh yes, that's from that's from Adi Shankar. Yes, Brahman is real and the world is false. We disagree yeah. with that too. <laughs> yeah, for his explanation yeah, yeah. of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he says anyway, the world is false. When he says the world is false, he means it's not really there. We say it's there, but it's not what it looks like. And yes. And I've heard it said by some uh, spiritual teachers that that what you what you just said was his actual meaning, and that's just so. been mis- yeah it's just been misinterpreted by by many to think that oh the world doesn't exist but uh, uh, it's been said that that's that wasn't his original meaning or intention. In any case, um, my question uh, for today is regarding. Um, one verse in the Bhagavad Gita, and I'm sure you know you know it very well. Tesham satatayoktanam bhajitam priti porvakam dadami budiyogam tam yenam mam upayanti te. Yes, that's the that's the, actually the first verse I ever learned in the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, no kidding! Wow. Yeah. And I learned it um, coming to my first Brahmiyatra in San Francisco, and I, I chanted it all the way all the way home from Los Angeles. From San Francisco oh. to Los, A- Los Angeles, where I was staying in the Los Angeles Temple, and interestingly enough, this is if you might, if I will, uh, if you give yeah. me, if you allow me a moment about this. Verse, of course, um, of course. Uh, prior to being initiated, I was living in a in a preaching center in uh, Santa Cruz Mountains, which is in between, as you know, Los Angeles and San Francisco, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> and we were uh, well, these were different times and we had a rented house and the um uh leading devotees thought it would be nice if we wrote bhagavad gita verses on the wall <laughs> i don't think <laughs> the owner would have necessarily have agreed but it was not my concern i was just doing what the leaders asked so right i i i i, I didn't know it at the time but i picked out the four uh, chapter Shlok, essential verses of the Bhagavad Gita, one of which is this Tesham Satatyukta, and wrote those on the wall, and, and the devotees were like, whoa, he chose those verses. I didn't know they were the same verses. Later on, um, my experience with this verse was that Prabhupada was very kind to me, and um, I heard what, I was in Vrindavan, and I heard he was going to cook one morning, so I thought, I'm going to go down and, and help Prabhupada cook. So I came down, and Prabhupada was sitting and he wasn't cooking <laughs> and I said Prophet heard you were going to cook so I wanted to come and you know help out he said no I am not cooking and I was a new sannyasi hmm? I had recently taken sannyas and Prabhupada uh, took advantage of that and he said I can cook with wood hmm? and he went on about that what he meant was he was independent he didn't require anything he could live in the forest and you know um and this was the life of a sannyasi, completely independent. So he's going on about that. It was a very nice um, um, teaching from him and inspiring. And at that, just as he was going on about that, another, another godbrother of mine, who I knew from Los Angeles, who happened to be there, 
heard that I was in speaking to Prabhupada and he thought I was in the talking to him about book distribution or something. So he wanted to come in. So anyway, he came in and the, the, the Prabhupada's assistant let him in. His name was Goparindapal. He's a nice devotee. He lives in Hawaii now. And, uh-huh. uh, and so there he was and there I was. And so he, but the subject was different, but, but when Prabhupada stopped, he, you know, entertained Goparindapal's presence and he wanted to bring up a point. And he said that, uh, Prabhupada, I think we should have a system for teaching the devotees what to say when they sell books so they don't misrepresent. We should make like a, you know, some kind of thing that we give everybody. And these are the ways to reply. Script. So the, yeah, script, yeah. right. And Prabhupada didn't like it. He thought it was very artificial. And he said the devotees, they have their own inspiration. Krishna's given them inspiration to speak. He said, just like our Tripurari March. Tesham satata yuktanam bhajatam priti puvakam dadami buddhiyogam dadami buddhiyogam Krishna is in his heart and he's giving him the things to say. So we can't give Krishna the script is what he was saying. Krishna's making the script and the devotees is sincere and it will come out and, and so on and so forth. So those are, anyway, some of my thoughts about that verse that you bring up, I'm fond of it. So I'm, forgive me, but what's your question? Oh, about no, it? nothing to forgive. That was, that was, uh, <laughs> very charming, Maharaj. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this, my question actually relates to, uh, what you just expressed right now, that Krishna makes the script, so to speak, like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what you mentioned in your answer to, uh, I, I don't, I forgot the devotee's name, but the, the, the beautiful answer you gave this morning about being an instrument, being mm-hmm. an actual instrument, you know, rather than a separate independent doer of actions like that. So in that regard, um, I just very recently, I mean, right, I mean, there's a spectacular, uh, abundance of, of archives of Srila Sridhar Maharaj on, uh, on YouTube currently available. And I recently, I mean, like each one is like a treasure trove in itself. Um, can't even be all absorbed in one sitting, just over, over a number of sittings, each one. So in this mo, in this very recent one that I just saw, he, he, um, emphasizes the principle of all rights reserved like that, which is mm-hmm. Krishna writes the script, what you just expressed. So, um, and so all rights reserved. And he gave the story. Um, I know you know the story about the butcher who was using a Shalagram Sheila inadvertently, not, not, not like knowingly disrespectfully, but Innocently using a Shalgram Shila on his scale to weigh meat. You remember that story, right? And, and then, you know, yeah. uh, but for those who may not know it very briefly, just like a, a Brahmin, a, a caste Brahmin, a proud caste Brahmin came and said, what are you doing? You evil man, you sinner, you know, like give me, you know, don't you know, you know what that is or who that is? And he said, give me, give me, I will worship him properly. And the butcher said, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean anything. You know, like, uh, you know, please take, take the shield. No, no, you know, like, please forgive me. And so, um, the Brahmin took him and put him on the altar. And then that night he had a dream. As, as Guru Maharaj told the story, he had a dream 
And uh, Krishna came to him, perhaps as a young uh, eight, eight-year-old boy, you know, like a uh, angry little disappointed eight-year-old boy said, I was having so much fun swinging back and forth and you had to come and spoil it all like that. You, you remember. But just for the benefit of everyone else who may not know the story like that. And so the, the, the uh, cast Brahmin, uh, you know, like he, he, you know, he brought the Shalagram Shila back to the butcher and said, Oh, you know how to worship him. I do not. <laughs> you know, like that. And so in this way, Gurmaraj was emphasizing the principle of all rights reserved. Uh, and so in regard, I mean, there's a long standing, um, long standing uh, idea within the Gaudiya Vaishnava community, um, that, um, you know, Mirabai had no right uh, to uh, worship Krishna in the way that she did or approach him with the love, a uh, particular kind of love that she had. Um, and it's apparently supposedly based on, you know, her not including uh, Srimati Radharani or the other associates of Krishna, you know, like in her songs. But, you know, I happened to discover quite accidentally without looking for it that that's not true. That in uh, just this one beautiful song sung by, you know, uh, Vyasaki Prabhu, Antara Mandira Jago Jago, you know, uh, Madhava Krishna Gopal, uh, Mirabai states in the third verse, Yashoda Dulal Esho Esho Nani Chor, Oh darling of Yashoda, come, please come. Uh, and then in, uh, in the same verse, loye radhavame, riddhi vrajadame, uh, bringing radha along on your, at your left in the, uh, uh, please come to my heart like that. And so, um, I was just thinking based on this verse of the Dami Buddhi Yogam Tam, which we spoke about together and what Guru Maharaj mentioned about all rights reserved, wouldn't it stand to reason? That it's Krishna's right. He has the right to accept Mirabai's love as well. Um, even if it were true, the accusations made against her, which as it turns out, it are not true. You know, wouldn't it be Krishna's right to accept some, uh, her love in the way that she had expressed it? Yes, Krishna, of course, can accept, uh, and he does, all types of love. I don't think, though, that, can you hear me? Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. I, I don't, I don't think that the, uh, Gaudi Vaishnava say that Mirabai, um, is not, uh, a devotee, does not have experience of Krishna. They just differentiate to some extent her experience based on her songs and approach than that of Gaudi Vaishnavism. There are many, many devotees of Braj of all different stripes and members of different sampradayas and those who aren't connected with any sampradaya that are uh, love Krishna in different ways and so forth. So it's obvious that Mirabai was was a great devotee, but um, she wasn't a devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu per se. She had some differences with Jiva Goswami. They were kind of charming as they're presented. Um, but, um, you know, there's Balaba sampradayas there. We don't say Balaba doesn't have experience of Krishna or love for Krishna. We're just differentiating between in, in our in our sampradaya, yes, uh, you know, the, the, there's a there's a there's a overwhelming emphasis on all the surrounding 
features of Vrindavan, um, the the Jamuna, the Govardhan, the parents of Krishna, his lovers, his friends, um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, in other, in 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 the in the uh, by contrast, if you will, in the um, in Barka Sampradaya, which is the Ragnarok Sampradaya, the ideas they enter into a grove with. Uh, with uh, Radha and Krishna, and nothing else, none of that other stuff's going on, you know. Um, mm. uh, so that's a window also. So mm. different devotees enter into different windows or different prakashas of the leela, um, and it's it's not like you know you go. You got to be a little careful, and I think this may be where you're where you're coming from in, in your question. It reminds me of an old joke uh, from the from the Christian world. That uh, fellow died and um, went to heaven, and this was pre-Vatican II, when the Catholic Church became more ecumenical. Uh, prior to that, it was the only way. I remember my neighbor, the neighbor boy, was a Protestant. I thought, oh, the poor guy, he's a Protestant, he's not going to go to heaven. You know, that's kind of how it was taught. So this is a pre-Vatican II uh, uh, joke, if you will. And so the Protestant, he, he went to heaven and then God, God was showing him around. And there was, there was this big wall. He said, what's that? He said, oh, that's the, the Catholics are in there. They want to think they're the only ones here. You know, so, uh, so there are all types of possibilities and Krishna can interact with anyone he likes, whenever he likes, to whatever, whenever, whatever way he likes. That's a fact. But we at the same time are in a particular lineage in a particular Sampradaya. And that's the window of opportunity that's come to us. And it, it answers to our own individuality and, and, and blueprint, if you will. That's why we, we, we respond to it. But we shouldn't respond to it in such a way as to dismiss anyone and everyone else. Um, we should, rather than dismiss them, we should emphasize our own perspective, our own teaching, which will foster our own um, uh, attainment of that um, ideal, you do have to be one-minded to uh, uh, to be uh, enter into into samadhi. So it's useful <laughs> in a, in a, in a broad sense to be ecumenical, appreciate all devotees, you don't want to offend anybody, all spiritual people, and so on and so forth. And Bhakti Vinodhi gives a good example of that. You know, he was very ecumenical, but in the, in the end. Just closed everything off, and for four years, um, and he didn't want to see anybody's face that wasn't, you know, um, chanting Jairate, for, for example. So the, the oneness of mind, if you will, is uh, also important uh, to, to to keep in mind, but not at the expense of creating offense to other other devotees. <laughs> Thank you, Marjorie. I knew that joke that you told also. And the way, I, the way I heard it was that the Protestant went to heaven. Uh, St. Peter uh, was showing him around. And the Protestant said, what is that big wall over there? And St. Peter said, oh, shh, that's the Catholics are behind there. They like to think they're the only ones here. Right, <laughs> exactly, yeah. One uh, one last thought on uh, all, all this is uh, I've told the story before, but briefly uh, years ago I was writing a magazine called Clary Call when I first uh, left, left this gone, and uh, it was a it was a popular magazine on the newsstands and so forth. 
And um, I did an article on women in bhakti and interviewed the widows of Vrindavan. And the head widow um, of the main moth in Vrindavan, um, I spoke to at length. And um, I asked her at one point, do you have a, like a patron saint? Mm. You know, mm. and she didn't quite understand what I meant. And I said, you know, like like Mirabai, who has a little temple that was nearby. And she understood what I said. She said, oh, oh, yeah. She said, no, no, not Mirabai, Vishnu Priya. Oh, and her, and her heart, her heart just came out so, so, so big, and, and so it was so. No, not and she didn't dismiss Mirabai, but her heart lied with with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's widowed, widowed wife, who's who's whose bhakti mm. is, a, is a very inspiring story. So that was their, she was their patron, patron saint Mirabai Tijai, Vishnu Priya Devi Tijai. Gold, Premanande. How do you go? Beautiful. Thank you, Maharaj. Okay. What else? Any other question? Okay. So the next question is all the way from Finland. It's Krishami. Okay. Into the dark of the night of the winter of Finland. Well, you're, you're a bright spot over there. I can. I can see you too. So. Yes, thank you for the question. Um, Japa is considered a limb of the tree, if you will, of dhyan or meditation, as you've said, of smaranam. So different angas of bhakti have sublimbs to smaranam. So a sublim of that, if you will, is, is, is Japa. And, um, at the same time, it's thought that there are three ways in which one can uh, engage in japa. That means silently repeating in the mind the mantra, in this case the ma mantra, the nam mantra, Krishna's names, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, silently. Or um, upamsa means whispering the name. So you, you speak the name in a way that's loud enough for you to hear it, but not in a way that others can hear it. And then out loud must mean bachistic, out loud. Uh, and out loud means that others can hear it as well. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to out loud, then Japa, which is the sub-anga of smarnam, when it's done out loud, becomes a sub-anga of kirtanam. Hmm? And we find that Haridas Thakur, he said that he chanted 300 rounds. 300 rounds, was it? 300,000 uh, names. 300,000 names a day. And sometimes it said that he chanted 100,000 Silently, hundred thousand whispering and hundred thousand out loud, mm-hmm. and um, oftentimes um, there's an emphasis placed on the silent being better um, because it implies 
that the mind has actually been controlled, hmm? right? Which is the objective of external bhakti is, is to bring one internally. Hmm? Um, but on the other side, the, the virtues of chanting out loud are also extolled in that not only oneself, but others can benefit from it. Let's say you're in the forest, like I am here, chanting, and the trees can hear, and the birds can hear. Um, it's become a little bit of an uh, an airport here with so many birds these days. I like it. So chanting to the birds, to the deers, and so forth, and trying to perfect your chanting. They won't, won't fly away or shy away. Um, begin with the domesticated animals. But anyway, chanting out loud, the, the virtues of that have also been extolled. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was concerned that uh, his method um, to his own madness, which also involved his compassion for others, was such that the non-moving living beings couldn't benefit from it, whereas the moving living beings could, Haridas Thakur replied, no, when you chant out loud, then the echo that comes back, that's the, really the non-moving living beings chanting back. So don't, don't be, don't worry. It's, um, your method is perfect. It's said in Chaitanya Charitamrita sometimes that Haridas Thakur performed Sankirtan. The word Sankirtan is repeatedly used to describe his japa in different places. So it's obvious that he did chant out loud at least some of the time, and that is called Sankirtan. So um, there you go. Uh, you can chant out loud and uh, sing the names, if you will, or chant them out loud on beads, and you're doing Sankirtan, which is the Yuga Dharma. Does that help? Can't hear you now. Maybe I can. Go ahead. No, I don't. I don't think I said that. I, I've I've told devotees that if you have problem chanting on beads, sit down and uh, clap your hands or uh, bring cartels and sing for an hour. Hmm? Or two. Hmm. It requires a little more physical energy, perhaps, but um, somehow or other, yeah, that that's that's fine. You can do that. You can you can rather than chanting on beads, you can chant without beads, hmm, out loud, and sing. Um, so no problem. Hmm. Yes, Parikirtan ki jai, Krishna sankirtan ki jai. I actually have a follow-up question to Krishna. I'll get to that, but there's a, there's a nice description, I think, by Rupa Goswami in Nastikam, glorifying Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu is coming from, in this, uh, this particular prayer, described as walking from um, Navadweep to Jagannath Puri, and he's chanting out loud, singing loudly, hmm? Hare Krishna Mahamantra, and he's got a string with knots on it, that he's, so he's doing japa with like Sanatana Goswami who instituted have Tulsi beads to chant on there'll be 108 like this he gave those details that Mahaprabhu asked him to come up with drawing from different scriptures but prior to that 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had a, had, apparently had a string or a rope with knots on it, and he chanted out loud while walking, uh, Uchai loudly singing the Hare Krishna Mama, very beautifully described by Rupa um, Goswami. Um, but you don't have to have beads or knots to chant the feeling. So, I'm sorry, your question? Oh, yeah, I just wondered if Krishanga, is, is it easier for you to chant in a group, like, oh, sing in a group, like if you sing alone for an hour, or if you sing in a group for an hour, is it easier for you to do it in a group? Like, could it have something to do with the fact that it's social and it's cared on? The idea is to become absorbed. So, and how you do that, Rupa Goswami gives the answer somehow or other. Somehow or other. So there are rules that have been given, which are good guidelines that have worked and uh, uh, scripturally based and so forth, given in books like Hari Bhakti Vilas. But, but that's not the, 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 it has to be done like that. Somehow or other, do it. Hmm. Um, <laughs> that's the idea. So that's that's the rule. Somehow or other, fix your mind on Krishna. That's not hard. He's very charming. Okay, what else? Okay, there's a question from Krishna Kanaya, unless it's a long question. We have about, you know, five, five minutes. That's an Sanatanist. <laughs> uh, I've never heard the term before Sanatanani, but I mean, I'm a devotee, but um, we are, um, you know, participants in members of the, we embrace the Sanatan Dharma, right? Um, so, uh, in that sense, yes, but um, it's not a term that I've ever heard before, um, and it, it, uh, it may be used outside of Gauri Vaishnavism for others who identify with Sanatan Dharma, which there are many in different sects and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so, yes, I am <laughs> in that sense, but to, that's kind of more, more of, to look at someone like ourselves, myself, with a very broad uh, brush, right? To get more specific into the picture, well, there's more to be said. Mm. A godia, then what, what kind of godia? Mm. A friend of Krishna, what kind of friend? <laughs> so you go ahead and focus more, more, more and more. But in a broad, with a broad stroke, yes, we are Sanatanists or Sanatanese, Sanatan. Yes, um, and that's, that's, there's a, I think the idea of the perennial philosophy first came from the Catholic theologian Leibniz, Leibniz. Um, later in modern times, it was popularized by, um, Huxley. And, um, 
he, 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 he spoke about this, well, perennial philosophy means this current is there in human society. It shows up in different ways, different versions of it here and there. Um, but, and it, expressing itself through different cultures, but it's saying the same thing, basically. Um, and, and uh, of course, from there, he um, identified the monism of Shankar as the most uh, complete, you know, articulation of Sanatana Dharma. Um, but there is another uh, Catholic theologian. Uh, I forget his name. I'm trying to remember now. I can't recall, but he wrote a very nice commentary on the Bhagavad Gita where he compared Ramanuja with, um, uh, with Shankar in their commentaries. And he came out with another theistic form of perennialism, which included differences within transcendence, commonality here, difference in approach was not just culturally based hmm, um, and relative, but the difference in approach was had something to do with the nature or the measure, the extent of one's pro- projection into transcendence. Very nice idea. Um, so anyway, yeah, in that sense, synonymous. That, that, that's a that'd be popular in your interfaith discussions, right? The perennial philosophy. We are Bhakti Vinod very much um, would be could be termed a theistic perennialist, mm-hmm. um, and of course it's very it's very attractive, it's very charming. Prabhupada, Bhakti Siddhanta, Saraswati Thakur, they were a little more. Um, and for good reason, um, less ecumenical in the way they spoke about it, because they were trying to carve out an audience hmm, in, the, in, the, in the greater world beyond India of Gaudi of Aishnavas. Hmm. Um, so you have to see that as a strategy. And, uh, and, and it's good. And it's useful, as I was saying earlier, in regard to Sajjan about being one-minded and so forth. It's, it's essential, but it, it can't. It shouldn't be such that it dismisses everyone else and becomes offensive to everyone else. Um, that you know, that, that, that's a, that's the problem. Um, so that's how we look at you know the difference between Bhakti Vinodakar is what he spoke and the way Bhakti Siddhanta, where strident Bhakti Siddhanta, very cutting, critiquing, you know. Bhakti Vinod wasn't, wasn't like that, but they were doing the same thing. Important point. So, all right, well, thank you all for your questions. And it was nice to be with you. I hope to be well, here next Sunday and, um, and meet with you all again then. Oh, Bhakti Vinduki Jai. Oh, Premanandi. Hey, Hari Bhakti.